are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Online at BethanyNaz.org. My daughter Morgan is 25, and uh, we talk a lot about faith together. And sometimes she will say, hey, Dad, you got to listen to this podcast. And so I usually do if she's recommending it. And I remember not long ago, I listened to a podcast about a guy who was raised in church a lot like I was raised in church. And my daughter Morgan grew up going to church. But as he got older, he began to really struggle to believe. He said it was a difficult time of life, obviously. And he said it became pretty awkward with my family. They were all Christians. And I'm at this point in my life where I'm just really struggling with faith. Tons of doubts. And finally, I came to this place that I said I, I no longer would label myself as a believer. I can't do that. I'm just not at that place in my life right now. And so he said, I wanted to believe. And I felt bad that I didn't believe. But, but deep in my heart, I didn't believe any longer. But because I wanted to believe, I was invited by a friend to go to a conference. And so I went to the conference because I'm like, hey, anything you got to help me, I'm, I'm open, okay? I, you know, I, I would love to have somebody say something or do something that would, would change the way that I'm thinking. And so he says, I go to this conference, and the conference was good. But he said it wasn't like in the conference my heart was changed or anything like that, or my mind was changed. But at the end of the conference, they said, now we're going to share in this very sacred moment And everybody is invited to come forward and receive communion. We're going to celebrate the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper together, the body and the blood of Jesus. And he says, I have no desire to go there, and I don't feel like I should go there. So I'm just sitting in my seat. But something happened to me that changed my life. Now, if you heard this guy speak, the moment he opens his mouth, you're going to say, wow, that's a really smart guy. He obviously has given a lot of attention to his intellectual training. He's got a bright mind. And he says, I can't believe it still when the words come out of my mouth. I'm the last person that ever thought would say something like this. But sitting there, while everybody else is going forward, Jesus spoke to me. He says, I know, I can't believe it when I say it. Still yet, years later, it just seems so odd that I would ever say anything like that. But I heard this voice, and it wasn't like a voice in my head. It was like an out loud voice. I heard a voice. I believed in that moment was Jesus. In fact, I had no doubt it was Jesus. And Jesus invited me to come forward and partake in His blood and His body. And He said, I began to weep uncontrollably. I went forward. I received this awesome gift of grace. And for the next many hours, I found myself weeping. I could not stop crying because I felt the love of Jesus all around me and the presence of Jesus all around me. See, here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus comes to us so that we might believe. Now, I've never had an experience like that guy had. I think it would be really cool if Jesus would do that with me. I would love it. Just, hey, can I hear your voice once? That would be so awesome, you know. I mean, you did it for that guy. Come on. Maybe you could do it. It's never happened to me like that. You want to know how Jesus came to me? Through my mom. And man, the Jesus that I saw in my mother was the most attractive thing I've ever seen in my life. 
the Jesus that lived in my mom and the way that she treated people and the way that she loved and the way that she put everybody else first, I wanted that Jesus in my life. I think Jesus sometimes comes to us through the Scriptures like the New Testament when we read it. And I think there are many ways that Jesus comes to us. But here's what I believe. I believe Jesus comes to us so that we might believe. Do you know what the opposite of this is? The opposite of this is that you being convinced that you somehow found Jesus. Which is impossible. Number one, Jesus was never lost. Jesus never needed to be found. I was lost, you were lost, Jesus was never lost. And so salvation is completely, 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 completely the work of God. God calls you. God creates a yearning in your spirit. God draws you. It is all the work of God and His Son Jesus. Salvation is all the work. Jesus comes to you. And so in this story that I'm going to share with you this morning, there are two occasions where Jesus comes and He stands among people so that they will have faith and believe in Him. So, you ready to go to that passage? Let's go. John chapter 20. You want to grab a Bible, a phone, open it up. I'll put the words on the screen. We'll start reading with verse 19, okay? So, here's the way John tells the story. Last week, you remember, we had Peter and John running to the tomb. Mary ran to the tomb. They began to believe. And so, on the evening of that first day of the week, meaning on Resurrection Sunday... That evening. So Mary has come back and said, Hey, I've seen the Lord. This is crazy good. John says, I believe, right? The other disciples are trying to know what to believe and not believe. And so on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, they killed Jesus. What in the world are they going to do to us now? Read those two words with me. Jesus came. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes to us that we might believe. Jesus came and stood among them. And he said, peace be with you. This was one of the gifts Jesus had promised of the kingdom of God. You're going to have peace. And after he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now they believe because they have seen His hands and they have seen His side. And so again Jesus said, peace be with you. And then He says, I'm going to send you just like the Father has sent me. The work I've been doing, now you're going to do it, okay? So as the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, He breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. So just as God sent Jesus into the world, empowered with the Holy Spirit, Jesus now gives that Spirit to the disciples who are going to do the work. This next sentence causes us a little bit of concern. If you forgive anyone's sins, he's saying this to the disciples, their sins are forgiven. But if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. What does that mean? And we could talk about it for hours, honestly, but what we do know for sure is that when the disciples share this message of the possibility of forgiveness of sins. If you receive that message, you can be forgiven. If you reject that message, you will face judgment. Now, we get into the story about Thomas. Thomas, also known as Didymus. Would you like to be named Thomas or Didymus? How many for Thomas? How many for Didymus? That's what I thought. 
Thomas is the Aramaic version of the Greek name Didymus. Okay? Both words mean the same thing. You know what they mean? Twin. So that means Thomas and his sibling were both twins. Okay, so Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, meaning disciples, was not with the disciples that evening when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, Hey, Thomas, we've seen the Lord. Can you imagine? They're just like, all. Oh. But he said to them, Unless, unless I see the nail marks in his hands, I'm going to have to see it with my eyes and put my fingers where the nails were. I'm going to have to touch it with my hands and put my hands into his side. I will not believe. I know what you believe, but I don't believe it. I'm going to need to see it for myself. You saw it. I did not see it. So a week later, meaning that next Sunday evening, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, John's saying this so that you'll know that this is the transformed body of Jesus. Read those two words with me again. Jesus came and stood among them. Because that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes to us so that we might believe. Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Now, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. You have everything you need now to have faith. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Do you know what this is? This is a confession of faith. This is Thomas saying, I believe that you are not only my master, my teacher, but you are the son of the living God, the one sent from God himself. And then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. But blessed are those, he's talking about you right now, okay? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. So John finishes with this sentence. He talks about writing the book, the Gospel of John. Here's what he says Now, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. In other words, I took some editorial privileges in what I would include in the gospel and not include. I could have written for days, but this is where I stopped, okay? But these I wrote. These are written that you may believe. See, John was all about promoting faith. I want you to believe. So I wrote these that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Really big news, okay? And that by believing, you may have life in his name. So this is the Word of God for the people of God. Give me a very strong thanks be to God. That was not all that strong, but I'm going to take it and run with it, okay? Annette and I got married 32 years ago. Is that close? 33? Some things you should remember in your marriage, and that's probably one of them, isn't it? So I would get into this deal with Annette when we got married, where that I would want Annette to... Move at my pace. Do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm kind of a fast-moving person, and that is much more laid back. And I'm like, hey, could you just hurry up a little bit, you know? Uh, and I would like for her to think like I thought about things. I would like for her to agree with me on almost anything. And I came to find that I married a person who had a mind of their own. All right? And so I remember Annette saying to this to me a lot when we first got married. She would just kind of stop me and say, hey... She would look at me and she'd say, I am not like you, Rick Harvey. I will never be like you. In fact, I don't want to be like you. 
okay? I am me, and I'm going to be me. It hurt my feelings really bad when she would say stuff like that. So I want you to do this. I don't care who you're sitting by. I just want you to look at them right now and just say these words to them. You are not like me. Just go ahead. It's a true story. True story. Do you know that God created you and God created the person beside you uniquely? We are not all the same. We are different. There are some of us who are very extroverted. And there are some of us who are very introverted. There are some of us who move through life at a very, very, very fast pace. And there are some who just kind of are laid back. And they kind of see things that the rest of us don't see. And they experience things the rest of us don't experience because we're just moving way too fast, Timmy Riggs. That's just the way life is, right? There are some of us who, you know, just have very much of a given nature of being feelers. I mean, we cry at TV commercials, you know. Uh, we just feel deeply. There are others of us who are thinkers. We're just much more analytical. We're not all the same. So I'm going to say this. And I'm praying that as I say it, that God set somebody free. Because God created you. Uniquely. For some of us, faith comes easy. It's not because I'm better, it's not because I love Jesus more. It's not because I work harder at it. Fact of the matter is, there are some of us in this room, and faith just comes easy for us. And then there are others that faith is much more difficult to come by. It's not because you love God less. It's not because you don't have commitment in your heart. It's just that we are not all the same. Bottom line. For some, faith comes easy. And you don't know why. It just does. And for some, faith is much more difficult. So I have a, a good friend who is in the ministry today, and I'm glad he's in the ministry. He's a good minister. But I remember my college days, and I don't know that I was so aware of this until this point in my life. And he just says to me one day, and his heart just opened up, and he says, Rick, you have no idea what I would give to have your faith. And I just go, what? What? He says, I'm not kidding you. I would give anything if I just had your faith. I said, what are you talking about? And he says, faith comes hard for me. It always has. I don't know why. And there was this yearning in him. I, I don't want it to be hard. But for me, it's hard. 
So, I guess in my heart this morning, I'm wanting to convey a lot of things. But there might be somebody in the room that says, you know what? Identify with Thomas. He, he needs more evidence. He says, unless, unless I see those nail marks in his hands and put my fingers where the nails were and put my hands into his sides, I will not believe I'm needing more evidence and I'm not going to be taken in and I'm not going to be swept over. I'm going to need some more solid evidence. And so, I believe this statement is true for everybody who sits in front of me. And it's simply this, that many people doubt as Thomas doubted. And even those of you for whom faith comes easy, you would admit that there have been seasons of my life, Rick, when I've said to myself, how do I know what I believe is really true? And how do I know for sure that I really believe all that I say that I believe? For many people doubt as Thomas doubted. There's been seasons of your life where you've just said, I want to believe. I don't want to doubt, but I'm struggling. I'm struggling to believe. So I think when we um, talk to people who struggle to believe, for people... Uh, that faith comes harder for, more difficult for. I think that we sometimes are tempted to say, you know, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if they're really all in. Or I don't know. Are there other things going on in their lives? Are they really committed? You know, do they really love God as much as the rest of us? I think we're tempted sometimes to kind of, what else is going on there? So I want to take you to John 11, and I want to show you what Thomas is all about. Jesus is getting ready to go to Jerusalem. It's dangerous for Jesus to go to Jerusalem. And then Thomas, also called Didymus, said to the rest of the disciples, Let us also go, read these last words with me, that we may die with him. It wasn't a matter of not being committed. It wasn't a matter of not being all in. It wasn't a matter of somebody else being holier than Thomas. Thomas said, you know what I'll do? I will die for this man. You want to know what level of commitment I've got? I'll give my life. That's how committed I am. But for Thomas, faith didn't come easy. So... David Busick, Dr. David Busick, who is uh, in his role that he serves the church now, he literally travels, when I say all over the world, that's not an exaggeration, all over the world, representing the church and leading the church. He served here as your pastor prior to my coming. And, and I remember when David was here on a Sunday morning a few years ago, he talked about going to this, this part of the world. He couldn't even say the name of the country because it's what... What we call creative access, and, and what we mean by that is that you have to be kind of undercover as a pastor or maybe even as a Christian there. And so David is there and he's meeting with this group of pastors. He said, we're sitting in a circle together. And I'm speaking with them through an interpreter and their, their, their country is seeing incredible growth in the church. It's just blowing up. People are coming to Jesus, you know, by the hundreds. And 
And he said, so I said to this group of pastors sitting here with me, tell me, what is it that God is using to see the church grow so rapidly in your country? So he says they're quiet, they're respectful, they're careful. Finally, one person says, they're coming to us. And he said, I didn't, I didn't really understand what, what that meant. Is there something like in translation? Not. So he says, can you explain to me what you mean when you say that these people that are coming to Jesus are coming to you? And so another pastor responds by saying, in our country, the predominant religion is Islam. But all of these Muslim people are coming and finding Christians. And they're saying to us, Jesus came to me in a dream. Can you tell me who this Jesus is that comes to me in my dreams? I want to know him. They come to us. We keep having these dreams about a man named Jesus who offers us life. Can you tell me who this Jesus is who keeps coming to us in our dreams? And the reason Jesus does is because that's what Jesus does. Jesus comes to us so that we might believe. Here's the problem, okay? I've never had one of those dreams. Have you? And I've certainly never had what the guy at the beginning of the sermon had who wasn't believing where Jesus spoke to him. I've never experienced anything like this. He's never come to me in a dream. I've never heard his voice. So what do you do? I remember in December during our Advent series telling you, hey, we don't call this the Christian proof people. We call it the Christian faith, okay? It involves believing. And I remember the reason I said it was because I was challenging you throughout that Advent story of Jesus coming. There's a lot that you can't explain, a lot we don't understand. I like, you know, like how angels talk to people. Or how a young teenage girl is conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and becomes pregnant. Or how, you know, there's this star that guides wise men to this baby. And I challenge you to embrace that instead of saying, okay, you know, I, I just don't get it. Just embrace the fact that I cannot explain everything there is about God. Embrace the fact that I can't put God in this comfortable little box where that I can just completely explain Him to whoever I want. But faith has to be anchored in something, right? I mean, if you told me there's monkeys in the lobby, do I believe that? Who's saying there's monkeys in the lobby? And are they reliable? I mean, your faith has to be anchored in something, right? And so, when I think about these disciples, I realize for them, their faith was anchored in something. There's got to be some kind of objective criteria. You, you can't say, I'm a Christian, and it is all completely based on my experience and this inner emotional and psychological decision that I've made. That's it. No. I mean... Who would do that? 
I mean, your faith is anchored in something, right? At least it was for these believers, and let me just walk you through that. Okay, here's a, here's a verse, finally. This is, this is back last week, okay? Finally, the other disciple, meaning John himself, who's writing, also went inside. He saw and believed. And so John's faith was anchored in the fact that he saw the empty garments in the tomb. And a slight grin breaks across his face, and he says, you've got to be kidding me. I think maybe he's alive. You know? What? Oh, my goodness. Look at the next verse. Mary, Jesus said to her, Mary, she turned toward him and cried out, Rabboni, because she heard Jesus speak to her. I mean, her faith is anchored to something, right? You just keep on going, okay? He showed them. This is what I just read to you a moment ago. His hands, his side. And the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. But it was not until they saw his hands and his side that they believed it was Jesus. It keeps going. Then he said to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here. See my hands, rather. Reach out your hand. Put it into my side. And that's when Thomas said, not before, but that's when Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Your faith has to be anchored in something. If you keep going with the next verse, Jesus said, Because you have seen me, you have believed. This is why you believe, because you have seen me with your eyes. This is what your faith is anchored in. Jesus performed many other signs, John says, in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you might believe. I'm writing these things down because I know everybody will not see Jesus with their own eyes. And so I'm giving you the facts so you can believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Here's what I'm simply trying to say. Next slide says, we must anchor our faith in something. You can't divorce theology from history. Do you know who I believe in? A real man with flesh and blood who lived 2,000 years ago. And although the Gospels are a reliable resource that has been proven over and over and over again by brilliant scholars around the world, although the Gospels are a reliable resource to document the life of Jesus, there are also many other resources that document the life of Jesus, of historians that were present when Jesus lived. My faith is about something that actually happened in the history of this world. A real man and the fact that he was raised from the dead. So there are all of these skeptics who have lived over the years and they've had one goal in mind. All I have to do, this is it, listen to this. All I have to do, disprove the resurrection and Christianity comes tumbling down. True story, it would. If you can disprove the resurrection, you've got nothing left. Christianity does not exist any longer. And they have gone to work on historical evidence. And skeptic after skeptic, people like Lee Strobel would be one that wrote intensively about it. Many others have, have said, oh my goodness, there is historical accountability for the event of the resurrection. And that is when the skeptic became, the skeptic became a believer in Jesus. It, it's okay to say we don't divorce theology from history, and history is a very reliable resource to base our faith in. 
My faith is anchored in the resurrection of Jesus. Now, so I'm going to ask you to jump in with me a little bit here, okay? I'm going to ask you to, uh, to read with me. The Apostles' Creed, okay? Starts, can you go back to, yeah, there we go. I believe, will you read in unison, in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. Think about what you're saying. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Two of the most powerful words in the world are I believe. So think with me a little bit. How many people live on the planet today? Can't, can't hear anybody. I think it's like 7.3 million, billion, I'm sorry. 7.3 billion people live on the planet today. A third of that 7.3 billion claim to follow Jesus' teaching and believe in Jesus. Okay? So that's like 2.4 billion people. Okay, 2.4 billion people. Now, I don't know how many people have believed in Jesus prior to us. It's in the billions, right? So when you put all of those numbers together, how many people? How many people have believed in Jesus? Now, here's what's really interesting. Do you know how many people actually saw Jesus after the resurrection? Does anybody know that number? Shout it out if you do. About 500. About 500 people over a period of 40 days. Now, that's good for reliability. 500 people saying, I saw Jesus after He was raised from the dead. I mean, that's, that's incredible, you know, for your argument, right? But when you think about 500 people in light of billions of people who have believed, it's a very small percentage. So very few people have the gift the disciples had of actually seeing Jesus. But we believe... Because we have found them and the Scripture to be a very reliable source. Wow. My faith is not in some set of ideas. My faith is not a feel-good faith that I need something to lean on. My faith is based on the fact that a man named Jesus lived, walked the face of this earth, loved deeply, taught people, preached, healed. He was killed on a cross, and on the third day, he was raised from the dead. And I believe. And my faith, get this, has changed my life. 
Jesus said, yeah, there's a lot of people who see and believe. Blessed are all those who are going to come after you, Thomas. They will never see, but yet they'll believe. And there will be billions and billions of them. And their lives will be changed too. Is there anybody here saying, I need a new life, man. I mean, I need help. I need hope. I need purpose. I need meaning. I need that life that Jesus promises, that John talked about when he said, and if you believe, you'll have life. Rick, I don't have trouble believing. I just have never opened my life to Jesus for Him to change my heart. And so, I think I'm going to wrap it up right here. And I think that there's prayers that are going to be prayed in the room, and I think they are in different categories. I think there's going to be maybe a few people and maybe a lot of people who pray, Jesus, would you come to me like you did for that guy who couldn't believe and like you did for those people of the Islam faith in that other country and like you did for Mary and like you did for Peter and John and like you did for the other disciples, Jesus, will you come to me so I can believe? I want to believe. I've got a feeling there's going to be people in the room this morning praying that prayer. Lord, give me faith. Come to me so I can believe too. I'm one of those people who struggle to believe. Jesus, come to me. I think there's going to be other people who are going to be saying, you know, I want to pray this prayer. Lord, I believe and I thank you for this life that you have given me because it is truly an unbelievable life. I am filled with purpose. I am filled with meaning. I am filled with hope. And I think there are going to be others who are going to be praying, Jesus, I believe, but I've never opened myself up for you to change my heart and give me that life. And I need life today. So let me pray for you. Lord, I pray. For the person who this morning is saying, Jesus, come to me. I want to believe. It's like Thomas, who in another passage was quoted of saying, I believe, help my unbelief. And so however it is that you choose to, would you come to them, Jesus? And then I pray also for that person who is just saying, Lord, I believe and you've given me life. Give them an incredible desire to share that life with others. And then for the person this morning who you're saying, I don't struggle to believe. I've just never opened myself up to Jesus and the life He can bring. Give them, Lord, the grace to open their heart up this morning to You. So I guess I'm really just saying, Jesus, come to all of us. And I pray this in Jesus' name. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.